Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. We launched a new Entree Architect Academy digital course. It's called Construction Management for Small Firm Architects. My small firm earned an additional $58,000 the first year we started offering construction management services to our clients. To learn more about this new digital course, visit EntreeArchitect.com slash cmcourse. Entree Architect Podcast, Episode 120. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. Many of you are working at established architecture firms, and some of you are considering the idea of launching your own firm. And I know through surveys and connecting directly with you, the Entree Architect community, all throughout the blog and the social media, that most of you are already leading your own firms. Well, what if you were to start all over? What if you were to, to start from scratch with the knowledge you now have? How would you structure that firm? How would, you, how would you do it differently? How could you ensure that the firm is prosperous and encourages equity for everyone involved? Well, this week on the Entree Architect podcast, I invited my friend Rosa Shang back to the show and she shared the seven essential elements 
of an equitable architecture firm. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks, the easiest way to send invoices, manage expenses, and track your time. Learn more at freshbooks.com architect. Today's guest is an architect and senior associate with one of the most admired architecture firms in the world and one of my favorites, Bolin Sawinski Jackson Architects. And she's a founding member of the, the Bolin Sawinski Jackson San Francisco office. And she's worked on some amazing architecture projects, including the Pixar Animation Studio headquarters and the original glass structures for Apple stores, where she had the opportunity to work with Steve Jobs personally. Pretty cool. So she sits on the board currently at the AIA San Francisco Board of Directors as treasurer. And she's one of the founders of Equity by Design. And you've heard about uh, Equity by Design before. We've talked with this guest before. Um, Equity by Design started as a San Francisco AIA initiative and has led to the AIA National Commission on Equity in Architecture, which is much of the result of, of this uh, today's guest's consistent and passionate leadership. So Rosa Shang, welcome back to the Entree <laughs> Architect podcast. Thanks, Mark. I'm thrilled to be here. Third time. Third time. The first third time's a charm. <laughs> first time you were here. You're the you're the second third time guest ever here on uh, Entree Architect. Uh, awesome. Eric Reinhold was <laughs> we did a series, so he was on it for three times. So uh, so you're you uh, you were here back in 2014 to talk about equity by design. You were yes. episode 27 where you sort of introduced us to equity by design and what that was all about. And then after the survey, and we're going to get into this a little bit so people will know more about this. Sure. Uh, but episode 51 in November, after the survey was complete, you came back and you shared the, the results of that survey. So, but there's so much that has happened since November yes. of 2014. Um, <laughs> so I would love for you to give us a, a brief reminder about what Equity by Design is and then sort of give us, give us the update on the progress of what's happening here today. Sure, sure. So in a hyperspeed fashion, where we started and where it started for me as a personal journey was a uh, point in my career where I was questioning whether I should stay in architecture. And while that might seem kind of a strange you know, premise, um, I wasn't the only one feeling this way. And the more talking I did, um, I realized that more people were feeling frustrated with the profession in general, mostly women, but also men. Um, to the point where it felt like something needed to be done. And um, when we decided to form the committee as part of AIA San Francisco, uh, we had done a lot of reading before that to realize that there wasn't much research or data out there about um, the kind of conditions of practice and what people were experiencing or what people were frustrated with or going through in their uh, you know, life of an architect from the time that they graduated to the time of their retirement. And we knew anecdotally that a lot of people were leaving the profession, but we just didn't know how many and to what degree um, comparatively between men and women at that point. So when we launched the survey in early 2014, that was one of our goals. It was a grassroots effort. Uh, we had done it by a popular survey through the internet, through social media. Um, that survey garnered uh, 2,300 respondents. And then we launched the results in October 2014 at the symposium that you attended, Equity by Design. So that was the, it was called the missing 32% before, and some people might hear that name um, bounced around, but it evolved into Equity by Design because it really aimed at capturing 
a larger kind of conversation about the state of practice, what wasn't working, how we could do better to not only improve um, the conditions for people that are architects and designers, but also the clients, the people that um, ultimately end up being the occupants of the, the buildings that we design. So um, that was an explosion because we didn't realize the nature of the need for the data or uh, the backup for what people were feeling out there. We kind of used um, a concept of life of an architect, uh, career pinch points you might have heard of, uh, where you know through the uh, your course of practicing professional advancement, you could go through potential hurdles or challenges that cause you to leave the profession, whether it be hiring, whether there's a good economy or bad economy, whether there's um, paying your dues as a young uh, professional, you know, between the time that you get hired and you get licensed, um, the challenges of licensure itself and the kind of jumping through hoops that used to happen that prolonged the entire process. Um, caregiving being a major concern and not just parents. Um, we want to clarify that caregiving expands to uh, caring for parents and caring for yourself. You know, we, we ignore the health of our bodies when we do all-nighters and we, um, you know, work incessantly, but that stress ultimately comes back in terrible forms, you know, whether it's um, chronic disease or even death for some people, um, you know, based on heart attacks or, you know, cancer or something. But that's important, a, a topic to, you know, be mindful of. And then finally, implicit bias or the glass ceiling. Um, there's a lot keeping people from advancing into leadership positions and ultimately becoming disenfranchised and um, either, you know, starting their own practice or, and leaving or leaving the profession entirely. So that's in a nutshell of, you know, what we are trying to get after. And again, the need was so great that um, not only did I end up speaking at the symposium, and uh, but a group of us started um, sharing the presentation of the survey results um, in a kind of a traveling presentation. I was joking around that we were going to take it on a road show and I didn't realize the reality of my, what I said, you know, I have to be careful when I speak. <laughs> but I ended up going all over the United States basically to major metropolitan areas and then even to Lisbon, Portugal um, in the summer of uh, 2015, spring of 2015. And uh, you know, it's, it's been widely received as the start of valuable information that people need in order to sustain themselves in the profession. It's just, there's not enough information out there is what we realized. Um, so it's been a good catalyst for discussion. It's brought about a lot of connections with um, groups around the world actually that are trying to spearhead this very topic of not just lack of women in the profession and leadership roles, but um, lack of minorities in the profession and leadership roles as well. And just struggles that everybody goes through um, right now with long hours, low pay, um, lack of negotiation skills. You know, the list goes on and on of things that we could do better to improve our profession and the sustainability of people, you know, practicing. Right, the results of the survey really talked not only to, to women and minorities, but it talked about to the entire profession. Every, everything that it discussed were, were things that, that would benefit everybody. Yes, yes. And there's a lot of mixed results as far as how people feel. You know, I think a lot of people are fearful that if we expand the conversation in this umbrella, this wider net fashion, mm -hmm. that we'll forget our roots of, you know, fighting for the people that are marginalized, you know, the women, um, the minorities. But I think 
in bringing this conversation out of the back room into the mainstream, we're actually doing better service to you know, everybody that feels disenfranchised at this point, because it's not a sidebar conversation. It's actually something that is important and relevant to everybody. So that's why our tagline is equity is for everyone. You know, and why does equity matter? We can expand upon that. Um, the other things that we've done is action oriented. So it's not just about the knowledge. It's not just about talking about it. It's committing to doing something to change the ratio or to change your status quo of whatever's dissatisfactory, right? Mm -hmm. Within your own career, but also within your firm, within the profession at large, there's different scales of action, right? And each person, you know, we, we joke around calling it biting the, you know, eating the whale and biting little bits at a time of what you're, you're able to chew. Um, but it really is that kind of aggregate grassroots effort of people collectively choosing to take that bite, what their part is, and then watching it all kind of come together. So on our end, we are spearheading research and we continue to do so. We just finished the 2016 uh, survey, which was amazing. Um, I can't give exact numbers yet, but we are over 3x of our responses from wow. 2014. So if that gives you a scale of yeah. involvement, we used a different strategy. Um, we were legit this time in terms of how we garnered our responses. We send out emails instead of social media. It was kind of this research, professional researchers' recommendations of you know how to make your survey legitimate and prevent um, what they call um, self-selection bias, like the people that take the survey are only those that are interested or you right. know drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> Which wasn't so, intentional. It's just, just because it was the first time around, that's how it was done. That's right. That's right. So we're learning and yeah. we're improving. And we had, uh, and again, roughly 50-50 men, women this time around, which, you know, isn't the profession, but it is society. So at least we're mirroring what society is as far as the respondents. And um, the questions that we asked, we asked some of the same questions so that we can, uh, you know, compare 2014 to 2016. But we also had different new questions and trajectories of conversation about engagement versus burnout. You know, there's factors. Uh, that contribute to that. And uh, we mirrored a case studies uh, research questions in the new survey to be able to determine, you know, how likely a person is to either, you know, be engaged or be bur burnt out. The likeliness increases if they answer certain questions a specific way. And we also um, spent a little more time on the caregiving conundrum, you know, of paid leave and, um, you know, balancing hours and just flexible hours, you know, things that people traditionally think of as a women's issue or mother's issue is actually expanded to be everybody's issue because it's part of that burnout conversation. If, you know, you're, um, you know, burning the midnight oil, there's no sustainability in that. Even if you're, you know, a male and you're single, um, you know, it's going to catch up with you sooner or later whether it's your health or, you know, just personal sanity. Um, so everybody deserves a crack at a, you know, decent work hours, the flexibility to be able to do things that resuscitate their passion, you know, renewed passion in what they're doing, um, kind of feeding, you know, into, um, you know, renewing what, what works for us. And then also making sure that, you know, building in ahead of time, the structure that will allow for healthy lifestyles, whether 
you have a family or you decide you want to teach or you know whatever it is you want to do on the side of being an architect you should be allowed to do that it shouldn't be a oh you're you know betraying your profession or whatever it is that we used to say right. um, it's a bigger conversation yeah I, I love it and what what about I mean is this all being managed still by San Francisco or or, or what's the connection between the AIA San Francisco and the AIA National uh, Commission that's been formed yes so I forgot to mention and thank you for reminding me that um, doing having the data and the research wasn't enough so action and activism we uh, co-authored I co-authored a resolution that was voted um, at the 2015 AIA National Convention in Atlanta, uh, Resolution 15.1. And that was a call for AIA National to um, start an equity and architecture commission that would spearhead this issue, study the importance of it, and really determine what next steps need to be taken within AIA National to support the equity and architecture conversation. So that group, which I am part of, has met twice already. And we have another um, meeting, our, our last technical meeting in person in June. Our work will not uh, finish, though, until the end of the year when we make our official recommendations to AI National about next steps of what we would like to see happen, AI supporting as far as equity and architecture, equitable practice, and um, whether it's um, you know awards and recognition or whether it's um, you know, strengthening the pipeline and determining uh, research, you know, continuing research, whatever it is, that will be the kind of recommendations. And then it needs to be reviewed by the board and, you know, approved as far as a short-term plan and then a long-term plan. So, um, yeah, that's the action part of it. And then we've also been doing programs. So we tried a bunch of workshops out uh, to address some of these issues. Uh, and they're repeating themselves. They're so popular that they're repeating themselves again at convention. We tried them in Atlanta, and um, you may have heard of the hackathon. Yep. Um, so that was our first stab at doing something, again, disrupting uh, even workshops and how they're presented at AI National Convention. So a hackathon is actually a techie name for charrette uh, with a tech component in terms of it's almost like a business plan of startup, but you know, harnessing creativity. And it's really a, a retraining us on how to think the way we used to think in school, where we said, what if, when there was no constraints on us, and to really um, expand the um, envelope of possibilities to create solutions on how we address some of these issues. So last year was just kind of a broad umbrella approach, but the winning team had this great idea of solving the lack of mentorship. So their group was called Build Your Tribe, and their kind of business plan was to build an app that would allow people to, to list their affinities of what their career passions and goals were, and to find people with those same similar affinities so that they could actually form bonds and champions, if you will, and mentors uh, to be able to support their career goals. So it's like examples like that. And then yeah. this year, the conversation is about architecture and how can we expand the role of an architect into the future because traditional practice as we do now isn't going to you know cut it in in the future because technology is advancing so quickly that if we don't keep up if we don't um, you know become more future thinking we're going to be left behind so that hackathon which um, Phil Bernstein is one of the 
presenters, he is uh, from Autodesk. Um, he wrote this manifesto about architecture and the era of connection. And that was really inspiring to me, you know, and I thought this is a great topic and so appropriate for the time we're at now of invention and creation and how that can support equitable practice is that if we are the leaders of, and the innovators, you basically write your own ticket, right? If you are the startup of a company or something that's cutting edge, you could basically determine how you run your practice instead of being told how to run your practice. And that's where equity and architecture comes into play is that uh, the innovators, the leaders of tomorrow really get baked in that that equitable practice is important and each you know part of that um, process. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to FreshBooks for their support as a platform sponsor of Entree Architect. Because as a platform sponsor, FreshBooks has provided funding and support for our overall mission here at Entree Architect to be an influential force in the profession of architecture. They recognize the need for small firms to build better businesses in order to be better architects. FreshBooks is the easy to use accounting software designed to help us small firm owners get organized, save time, and get paid faster. It takes care of invoicing, expense tracking, estimating, reporting, everything you need, and it all happens out in the cloud so you have access to your information from anywhere you have access to the internet. And as an exclusive offering just for the Entree Architect community, I've asked FreshBooks to join me on video and show us around the product, FreshBooks. I know that once you see how easy it is to set up and how simple it is to use, you will convert to FreshBooks just like I did for 5Cat Studio. Tim Lee of FreshBooks and I produced a series of videos and they're available for free at entrearchitect.com slash freshbooksvideo. And when you're ready to give FreshBooks a try, go to freshbooks.com slash architect and sign up for a free 30-day trial. It's free. No questions asked. It's free. 30 days. Just go in there and set up one client. Send one invoice. Set up a credit card payment system and have that invoice paid faster than you ever imagined it would get paid by credit card. It goes right into your, into your bank account. I love it. So freshbooks.com slash architect. Sign up for your free 30-day trial right now. Give it a shot and be sure to let them know that we sent you. Put in Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About It section. And that leads perfectly into what I want to talk about today on the podcast here. Yes. <laughs> the, the, um, what, what I want, to, as, as many of you know who listen to the podcast, every month we're talking about a different subject this year. And, and April, the topic is culture. And I wanted uh, Rosa to come and give us an update on Equity by Design and what's going on. And it's very exciting to hear the, the progress that it's made. It's amazing uh, how, how much progress has been made in the amount of time since we've last spoken here. Um, but I wanted to Rosa, to Rosa to come back and, and talk about, um, about culture and how equity affects culture, firm culture, and how firm culture affects equity. Um, and, and sort of very much like the hackathon, uh, sort of give the question to Rosa, if we were going to build a, a firm from scratch, how, what are the things that we'd want to do? How, how can we be intentional about designing a firm uh, around a culture that is based on equity? What are the things that we do? What, what policies should we in institute? What systems should we have? 
what what are the benefits we should have what are the things that we should be looking at uh sort of as a checklist to make sure that we're developing a firm culture from the very beginning even before it's born to make sure that as this firm grows it becomes the thing it should be you have yes. a, do you have a place to start with that conversation Absolutely. And it's part of the national conversation beyond architects and our profession. It's, a, you know, in the um, presidential election, in international conversations, it's uh, really on the forefront of what we need to do as a profession to just keep up. So I'd like to start with the fact that a lot of people are confused by the term equity and equality, and they use them interchangeably. Okay. So just first off the bat, um, equity is actually about recognizing difference and providing just and fair opportunities for people to have access, you know, to success, the same access. And equality is about sameness and recognizing that everybody gets the same piece of the pie, but it doesn't recognize difference. So, you know, to use the terms interchangeably doesn't really work because they're saying different things. Yeah. And the baseball field analogy uh, that I'll just mention quickly. So on the equity side, uh, sorry, on the equality side, everybody, imagine if you will, there's a tall person, a medium height person, and a short person. They all get the same thing in the equality equation. So they get a box to stand on. The tall person who could see fine gets a box, but he doesn't really need it or she doesn't really need it. The medium person um, couldn't see over the fence, but gets to see with the box. The short person, unfortunately, cannot see over the fence, even though they have the same thing as everybody else, right? So that's equality. You have the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but on the equity equation, you basically have the taller person recognizing they don't need the box. They can see over the fence regardless. They recognize that the short person can't see, gives the box to the short person, and then it's a win-win for everybody. It's that awareness and recognition that there's differences and people have different challenges too. Not everybody's going to have, it's not a charity case. You might have a different challenge from your coworker. And then if everybody recognizes that everybody has differences and challenges of challenges and comes to the table to say, well, I don't need this, but I need that, you know, and vice versa. That's the start of equitable practice is that mindset. Okay. So, so the first step is to, is to acknowledge this mindset mindset. Yes. Got it. Absolutely. And it goes with, um, you know, implicit bias training, unconscious bias training. We are all born with bias. It is a, uh, it's a very primal thing. It's a survival skill. You have to be able to sense danger, you know, and not, you know, not trust everything and not put like poison in your mouth or not trust people that might kill you. Right. Um, uh, but it has evolved where, it's so structurally built into us to think a certain way that it's actually preventing us from um, hiring, you know, certain people. And it's been proven in different studies with like Harvard Business Review um, and, you know, cutting edge uh, business practices where uh, time and time again, if they gave you a dummy resume and they put the name of same resume and they put the name of a guy and they put the name of a woman, uh, the, the woman is perceived in a different way than the man even though it's a, a factor, you know, it's a fabricated resume. And similarly with a fabricated resume and different names. So ethnically um, uh, diverse names, you know, that are very obvious versus traditionally uh, Caucasian names. Again, those people were less likely to be called for an interview 
Um, so they're, they're learning these really fascinating things and just being aware that those biases are out there. And right. also there's a place that you could take the implicit bias test for various things just to be more self-aware, mm -hmm. you know, and then saying that, okay, I know these things about myself. How can I change them to improve the workplace culture so that I'm not just hiring people like myself, right? You know, I could have a tendency to hire people just like myself, but to know that about myself and then to kind of correct, consciously correct for that, knowing that um, ultimately having a more, there's a business case for having a more diverse workforce, not just culturally or along gender lines, but just different skill sets. So if, you know, if we could build the optimal team, they would all have different skills that would kind of slightly overlap, but then we'd have the broader range of skills covered, right? Versus everybody having the same skill set and then us having holes in our practice because we don't have those other skills. So um, that's a starting point. Right. And then the, the, the implicit bias, you said that everybody has that. So again, that's, yes. that's sort of being self-aware um, and, and recognizing that we all have bias and, yes. and, and just, just acknowledging that is, is, the, a first is, is a first step, step and say, okay, <laughs> well, when I, when I do start hiring and when I do start making decisions, be aware that when you get those resumes and when you get those decisions to make, that that's, that's there. And yes. just, just acknowledging that that's there, you may be able to overcome that implicit bias and say, well, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Let's look at this beyond that and let's see what else is there. Yes. And they did a study with um, symphonies where they actually did blind uh, trials and people were playing music behind curtains. And it did two things. One, it removed the implicit bias of seeing the person before they judged them by their performance of the music. But then it also freed up people who are afraid of going thinking, well, they're going to have a bias against me. They're not going to pick me anyway to actually try out. You know, so it increases the pipeline because less people are deterred thinking, oh, there's a bias there. I'm not even going to try. And then also helping remove the bias by having that blind the, the um, curtain. Right. So in our practice, we can think of, well, how can we take that concept and make it an even more uh, more even playing field? Right whether it's, you know, removing the names from the resume um, or, you know, conducting, you know, I don't know um, the exact answer just yet, but there's different things that we could brainstorm about making it a more even playing field. Right. And that might be a system that you put together when you when you put together your hiring system for your firm, That's right. create these these systems that that in order to acknowledge this implicit bias, let's create a way that that these decisions are being made that that you're acknowledging this, maybe you take the names off, maybe you create some way of going through this and filtering out the resumes. So you don't know, you know, whether it's a man or a woman or whether it's a, uh, you know, a Caucasian or a, an ethnic name, you won't, you won't That's know, right. you just make the decision. And then once you make that decision, then you, you find out all that information that could just exactly. be a policy and system that's built into your firm. Absolutely. And we did a mini trial of that. So we um, had scholarships for the AI hackathon this year. And I hid all the names of the people. And I gave the kind of the submission, their answers to the judges. Mm -hmm. So it was literally a blind jury of just judging them by what they wrote, which is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, Practicing we did get what you preach. Ultimate diversity <laughs> that way. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, yeah. what's another step we can take? 
Um, also, I think on the uh, scheduling front, this is low hanging fruit yeah. of work life flexibility or integration yeah. or fit. You know, we have different names for it, but it's acknowledging that people have different schedules. You know, it's impossible that we all have the same schedule. So nine to five doesn't work anymore. Um, people have uh, early starts or late starts because of family or uh, personal reasons, et cetera. So why don't we have core hours? There's a bunch of firms that are actually practicing that where they try to schedule the bulk of their meetings within what they determine as being their core hours, whether it's 10 to four or, or you know, nine to three, whatever everybody agrees on is the majority of the time that people are in. Those are where the meetings get scheduled. And then, you know, people will have to come and go early or leave late. It's something that they actually do at uh, one of my children's school with the reading and split reading. So some of the kids come in early, some of the kids come in late, but then they're all there together in the middle of the day. Yeah. And it's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I love that idea. I've never heard of that. But it makes it so simple. It's such a simple solution to that to that problem. It avoids the stress of people missing out because they're not there. I mean, there's yeah. always going to be exceptions to the rule. But if everybody just tried really hard to follow core hours, it would make such a world of difference. Right, right. And then even alongside of that is um, leave of absences, right? So again, the traditional one that everybody thinks about is maternity leave. Well, it also extends into paternity leave, family leave of the different family situations that people have. You may be a guardian or adopt children, or you may be taking care of an elderly parent or relative, um, and you may need to take leave. And uh, with the architects traditionally, um, you know, salary being lower than other professions, that has an impact of not getting paid. Unpaid leave has a huge impact on a person's livelihood. So developing a paid leave policy, uh, we are seeing it now in government where it's actually, uh, San Francisco passed a law recently requiring you know, a, a paid leave for um, employers with 50 employees or more um, to provide that. Luckily in California, uh, two thirds of that is, is uh, supplemented in a short-term disability insurance. So luckily for the California um, firms, that just means if you're in San Francisco for this particular um, bill that got passed, it would mean you would pay the third difference so that that person would have 100% coverage for their uh, six to eight weeks or whatever that the, the policy is in place. And again, that's the difference between somebody, you know, going into debt or losing their job or deciding, you know, it's not worth it, I, I'm going to find another job or a profession. You know, it, it's it's a big difference right. uh, for people to feel supported when they need it. And, and, and if you're building that into your firm from the beginning, like we're talking about here, uh, from the other side, from the business side of, of you, because you you look at that from the business the business owner's side of you point of view, you have to pay for that. And so to yes. to have the opportunity to have some of that supplemented would be great. But even if you didn't, even if you did offer uh, paid leave in full. If you built that into the finances of your firm and you had that um, that fund for those opportunities to happen, that could happen. It's just a matter of how you structure your firm and how you structure your finances. That's right. And there has to be a way to structure this um, as some kind of reserve fund. But think of paid sick days. Usually you don't use all of your sick days within a year. I don't know if your firm rolls them over, but many firms only roll over holiday time 
you know, at a request or hardship, but the sick days kind of just disappear. Like if you don't use them, they go away. What if there was a way to capture the sick pay, even though it's, you know, financially structured differently to put that into that rainy day fund to be able to fund the paid leave, right? Yeah. Or, you know, it should be, it could be an incentive where employees somehow get to, you know, it, the longer they stay at a firm, they can't, you know, maybe there's a way that they don't bankroll it and use it all at the same time. But again, if there's a hardship or an emergency that they'd be able to tap into that resource, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I think that's, those are great ideas. Yeah. So there's ways around it, right? It's just like leveraging what you have and trying to build in that insurance system internally, you know, and maybe there's a way to set up some kind of, um, mutual fund or something, you know, maybe there's a way to adopt a law because they started the college fund that way by people, you know, lobbying for that. Maybe there's an advocacy thing for, you know, paid sick leave insurance that is, you know, built into that unpaid time. Right. Right. I mean, when we build businesses, many of us are building businesses around uh, offering the benefits of full health insurance and um, and bonuses and all the other things that we that that are we look at as compensation and benefits. Right. This can be looked at the same way that that paid leave is part of, um, you know, part of your benefits that it's that's right. That it, and you can you can use it whether you need it or not, that it becomes one of the benefits you have like a vacation, but it's Absolutely. not a vacation. It could be a sabbatical. You know, there should be a recognition that people get burnt out. And would you rather have a person leave forever or would you be able to say to them, you know what? go take your three months, go find yourself or go refresh yourself. But we want you to come back. Right. Wouldn't right. that be incredible yeah. to have that stronger as an with more knowledge and rested and ready to roll? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so what else we have? We have um, to have the mindset of equity. We have yes. implicit bias and, and self awareness. We have um, work life integration and work hours and core hours that that uh, that's sort of that area. Uh, and then leave of absences. What what about a fifth one? Um, mentorship. That's exactly so, what I was thinking. <laughs> building a culture of mentorship, not as something that's a checklist or a requirement, but finding affinities, you know, what are your passions, um, allow, allowing an, a culture that um, supports this kind of organic mentorship, you know, creating a culture that really celebrates people's unique skill sets and allows that to feed back into the firm. You know, whether it's pro formal programs or informal chats, you know, whether it's book clubs or whatever it is that enforces a culture that allows people to get to know each other, you know, that's the core of mentorship. And then champions, right? So extending to mentor beyond mentorship learning from other people and their expertise. And it doesn't have to be top down where it's just older people mentoring younger people. Younger people can mentor older people as well, yeah, like the definitely. reverse mentorship yeah. or peer mentorship because you know technology is advancing so rapidly. We actually should be depending on the younger people to teach the older people right. how to keep up. And, I saw uh, that happen in, when I was when I was a youngster. Uh, I saw because I came in just as as computers started working, you know, as they brought CAD into the studios, and that's exactly what happened. Is that that uh, the the young uh, architects in the studio who were learning 
how to run these CAD machines, we're teaching the older generation how to do it. Yeah, so we were we were mentoring them. Absolutely. And then champions I've mentioned before, but people that um, purposefully and conscientiously look out for you as far as you know what you've done in your career advancement, your professional development, and when it comes time for uh, the employer review or even decisions about promotions, that they're at the table. You know, and extending upon that, we shouldn't ultimately. If you built an equitable practice, you wouldn't really need champions. Champions is kind of a band-aid for where we currently are now, like pre-ideal utopian uh, workplace. Yeah. But in a utopian workplace where equitable practice is baked in, you would have a clear, transparent promotion policy, right? And you'd have bias awareness so that people who tend to not get promoted, right, would get the benefit of the doubt and would have, you know, stronger mentorship relationships with people so that one could say, well, you know, I, I didn't know so-and-so before, but because of these, this culture of mentorship, I know them now. And I know that, you know, they're capable of doing this if they get certain amount of support, um, just as an example. Um, so I think that was one of the top issues for people leaving firms was that there was no clear, transparent promotion policy, clear, clear criteria of how you advance in a firm. What skill sets do I need in order to advance? And you know, what's going to prevent me from advancing to be clear as well. Right. And so that would be the sixth one. So you yes. have you have the equity and champion. <laughs> uh, you have mentorship and champions sort yes. of as the fifth one. And then the sixth one, because uh, I didn't actually intend to number these, but these are a great yes. recipe for for a, an equitable firm. Them. That's right. Yeah. So so the sixth one is this clear, transparent uh, um, promotion policy. That's Make right. sure everybody knows how to to uh, take the steps to get to where you want to go. And when you make those steps, there's a clear way to activate the promotion that it happened. Just linear promotion of titles. And, you know, there can only be so many partners in a firm. You know, what are the other op opportunities that we can encourage people and to say, you know what, it's okay. Ultimately, you might not be a principal in this firm, but we want you to succeed, you know, whatever you end up doing. You know, it's good for people to know that early too versus you'll, you'll have an advocate forever versus being people being disenfranchised and you losing that person forever, you know, and who knows where that person's going to show up. They could be your client, you know, in a couple of other years, but then you treated that per person poorly. You weren't very upfront with the fact that they weren't going to become a principal in the firm. And then you severed that relationship. Right. right. So if we could just be a little more transparent, you know, and I think people, you know, while they may be disappointed to know that they, they're not going to be the principal or they're, you know, they're not quite aligned. I think it's also beneficial for that person to know that and to realize that they're not quite aligned with that particular firm and to move on and seek other opportunities. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So so that's six and we could go on and on. Is, <laughs> is there is there. Um... Is there any others that are that are really important that we should talk about? Um, those are the major six. Okay. There's obviously like some yes. conversations. Yeah. yeah. But those are the prime six, I think, that if 
we could start a you know an equitable practice right. deal firm that would be it you, so you want to do this you want to start yeah. start a firm start a firm <laughs> we could we could start two offices one in new york with me and one in san francisco with you we we just laid out the, the business plan so we're ready to roll i'm in and i and i know a bunch of other people that we could hire tomorrow that's great <laughs> um so let's just review them real quick. So mindset for equity, that's implicit, right. Implicit bias and just self awareness about implicit bias. Um, work life integration and and flexible hours and core hours. Uh, the fourth one is leave of absence. Uh, fifth one is mentorships and champions. And the sixth one is a clear, transparent uh, promotion policy. Yes. So I like that. So so that's that's the recipe for an equitable firm. Uh, so anybody who's planning on starting a firm, you can take this checklist and make sure that you know, that's part of your business plan, you can, you can take this these six pieces and actually plug them right into your business plan on how you're going to develop your firm and answer these questions in in a business plan. Uh, it's a great way to to make sure that you've you've started the culture uh, to be an equitable, uh, equitable culture from the very beginning. And I'm going to add a seventh one. And okay. it's a quick one. It's yep. metrics. You can't know how you're progressing if you don't self-measure and and then i of course egregiously left out pay equity but that seems like so obvious to me that that should be taken care of you know in the next year or so we shouldn't be paying people differently for doing the same things so being think, able to yeah. look at your payroll and say on an annual basis how are we doing are we hiring in a diverse way are we paying people in an equitable way? That's the seventh one. Say you're going to do it. The only way to know that you're actually doing it is to check your metrics. We're going to have all of this in the show notes so everybody can also just go to entrearchitect.com slash episode 120 and, uh, and get that. So that'll be there. So uh, Rosa, before we go, um, do, yes. you, do you want to talk a little bit more about the hackathon and how people can get... Uh, involved in that at the AIA convention this year? Yes. So it's not too late. There is, um, I believe the deadline for the reduced registration is uh, Wednesday, April 20th. And we have an exciting lineup. Not only do we have the hackathon from 1 to 5 p.m. on May 18th, um, but we also have a happy hour component. So if you register for the hackathon, you get happy hour for free. That's kind of our little bonus, you know, <laughs> that will give you drinks and food for your troubles. Um, but we uh, plan to have a really fun event. The first part will be entrepreneurs and disruptors and innovators kind of giving us the recipe of how they became what they are and kind of infusing us with their thought process. And then the second half will be actively forming teams to come up with a, a business plan. Either you can come up with one and bring it with you and then try to convince others of your great, brilliant business plan for a, a different type of practice, you know, in, in the future. Or you can, you know, come not, not having anything and then just brainstorm with your team that develops uh, during the event itself. And then we will um, have uh, documentation about each of the team's proposals, and we'll be sharing that in ultimately a kind of recap uh, booklet uh, at the end of the event, probably like a month after the fact. But there will be a winner. Uh, we're still trying to figure out what the prize is for that. Um, 
and then that will be announced at the happy hour. If you can't come to the hackathon because of whatever scheduled conflict, uh, you can uh, purchase a discounted ticket to the happy hour. We kind of reduce the rates because we are um, able to secure um, sponsors for the event. But we'd love for you to join us um, to participate and understand like what happened at the event. And um, you know, we're hoping to get a lot of good ideas that could be used into the future to develop equitable practice firms. Well, that's exciting. I, I'll be yes. at the convention and I will be at the happy hour. Yay. I do have a conflict for the hackathon or else I that's will definitely okay. be there with my own team ready to take it away. <laughs> but but uh, I'm working with the uh, business plan competition and have a conflict. But I will be there for the happy yes. hour. So anybody uh, anybody who wants to meet me there, I'd love to uh, to meet you there. Yes, so, it will be at Smoking Betty's, which is near the convention center. Very, very close. Very cool. Smoking Betty's sounds, sounds like a good place. Yes, barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, Rosie, your internet world, your world on the internet is uh, is eqxdesign.com for equity by design. So it's eqxdesign.com is the website. Yes. And on Twitter, very active on Twitter, it's equityxdesign. So equity by design, but equityxdesign at, on Twitter. Um, and on Facebook, you can find uh, Rosa on Facebook at facebook.com spelled out equity by design. So it's equity by design. Uh, on Facebook, and that all these will be on the show notes as well. Um, and is there anything else uh, that you want to share before we go, Rosa? Any, yes. Any other place where people can find you? Yes. So we're actually um, in uh, construction right now with a new website, and you probably ask, like, why do you need another website? Um, the The idea of the Equity Alliance has been baking for a long time, so we. Uh, it's in its beta form right now, the Equity Alliance, all spelled out, dot com. And it's the, the idea, Equity Alliance? Yes, the okay. Equity Alliance. Okay. Uh, because there is already, a, without the, the you know, yep. in, out there domain-wise. So we're the Equity Alliance. And the concept is that there's other groups out there besides Equity by Design doing amazing work to advance, uh, whether changing the ratio or advancing equitable practice, uh, a lot of people doing awards and recognition. So we're trying to aggregate all those people into a single directory and calendar and blog. So that would be the go-to place if you are anywhere around the world uh, wanting to participate in a larger conversation. So the tagline is equity is for everyone anywhere in the world. Love it. And we're really excited about that uh, website's development to aggregate all the great initiatives happening out there. Rosa, it's uh, it's an honor to be your friend, and <laughs> and uh, I'm so impressed with what you've done in the past few years. It, you're an inspiration to many. Thank you very much for your service to the profession of architecture and for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks for having me, and it's a pleasure as always. A direct link to download this episode and complete show notes with all the information we discussed in this episode, including information about the Equity by Design Hackathon on May 18th. It can all be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 120. And if you are planning on attending AIA convention in Philadelphia, come join us too. On May 19th at 8 p.m., we're having the first ever Entree Architect Meetup and I want to meet you. So we've organized a free event just for you, the Entree Architect community, 
For more information about the meetup and to RSVP, just visit entrearchitect.com slash meetup, and I'll see you there. And don't forget to go to iTunes, entrearchitect.com slash iTunes, and leave me a review. Click the star. Let me know what you think. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook at entrearchitect.com slash group at the Entree Architect Facebook group. And don't forget to check us out, the newest, the newest Entree Architect Academy digital course, Construction Management for Small Firm Architects. It's a good one. To learn more, visit entrearchitect.com slash CM course. My name is Mark R. LePage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to get out there and share what you know. Thanks for listening. See you next week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, 
Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.